Hello, welcome to the Real Point Exchange, Adam and Chris. Chris, how you doing? Eh, you know me. <laughs> and hey, we got us a uh, special guest today. Uh, special guest, would you care to introduce yourself and tell us uh, uh, why, you, uh, why you dropped by to talk with us today? Oh, my name is Jeff McClinsky. I'm co-founder of Strange Machine Games. We are a small publisher of tabletop games, board games, role-playing games, and game accessories. And mainly I stopped by because I was promoting uh, my role-playing game called Charm, C-H-A-R-M, Charm. Mm -hmm. And these guys, they're like, hey, they, they took a look at it. They're like, hey, this is kind of interesting. Why don't, you, why don't you come talk about it? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll talk about that and role-playing in general and all, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you thought I was just going to post a link somewhere and then like, that was it. <laughs> and then we just kind of hooked you in here. I'm, I'm good for it. Yeah, this is exactly. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, about Charm. Uh, what's your elevator pitch for this? Well, um, there's basically two pitches, the long pitch and the short pitch. And the short pitch is be anyone, play anything, anywhere in minutes. So basically, it's a charm is a genreless system. You and your friends determine your genre. You term, determine the power level. You work with inside that genre. Um, you can build your character in seconds, and your character will fit on a business card, so you can take it with you and play anywhere. And um, learning it, you can learn in minutes. So it's a very elegant, simple system, and it's very charming. That's why I called it charm. Yeah, I dig. I dig. So um, if if we've got an entire character sheet basically on a uh, business card posted, you know, card, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. what kind of dice mechanics are you, do you so, have? Yeah, so the dice mechanics are pretty simple. You roll a die 20 and a die 6 together, and you, you take the die 20 result. Um, I'll tell you about the die six in a second. And basically, okay. it works a little bit like on the, uh, I guess they call it the cipher system, Monty Cook's thing. So every three uh, points is a success. So for example, something's trivial, well, you don't need anything. You just, a zero will work. Um, you just do it. If something's easy, you need a, you need a one to a three. If something's um, moderate, it's a four to a six. If it's hard, it's a six to a nine. And then it goes up from there. Um, so basically, if you roll the die 20 and you get a, 12 and you needed a nine you've succeeded on your roll okay. okay because we have those steps we can um, i use a big word here we can discretize the role-playing game experience so hmm. so let's say you need a 12 and you get a 18 well now you are two levels or three levels over what you needed and because of that you, you actually get a triumph which allows you to make a move in the game and a move in this case would be so you get something more powerful than what you wanted so for example if i was trying to jump a fence right if it's a stressful situation, if it's not a stressful situation, you don't roll. You just climb the fence. Um, but if it's a stressful situation and you 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 roll and you get that, you know, you, you need a, you say it's an ice wall or something, right, in fantasy kind of setting. And the GM's like, well, this is a little harder, so you're going to need a 12. And you say, okay. You roll and you get like an 18. Instead of climbing at a certain speed, you might climb it a lot faster. You might be able to vault off of it and get additional speed. If somebody's chasing you, you might be able to chip the wall as you climb it. So if someone else came behind you has a harder time climbing it. And basically, the level of benefit you get has to do with how well you've rolled. Um, now, okay. that in itself is, is kind of terrible, right? Because you have no agency. You just roll a die and stuff happens. It's fine for loose storytelling, but it doesn't really give the player much, much choice. And that's where the die six comes in. So sometimes, if you want to enhance your roll, you can spend points from your character to add that die six into the die 20 to bump you up to the next level or to help you succeed. Okay. Um, you can also spend points to just completely re-roll the, the dice Either, either of the dice. So for example, if you actually get, let's say you roll a, a natural 20 on your you know, 20-sided, but on your six-sided, you roll a one. 
you could spend a point and just roll that that uh, one over again on that die six to try to get yourself the maximum score of a twenty six, or to, you know, maybe get get higher, get like a get like a uh, twenty four or something. Okay. The check values are really set by the GM. So so for example, and it this is the crux of the charm system. Um, the checks are based on things that things that you understand about your character. It charms all about what you know. So for example, if we have you you're playing a barbarian, I'm playing a wizard. We all know that the Barbarian has more hit points than the Wizard, right? We all know that the Barbarian is stronger than the Wizard. We all know that the Wizard is probably smarter than Barbarian, at least in scholarly subjects. The Barbarian might be more, might be more intelligent than the Wizard in uh, practical natural skills or survival skills. Yeah. Right? If we know those things, we don't need to have them on our character sheet. The fact that you are a Barbarian sums that up. The fact that I'm a Wizard sums that up. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's up to the GM to basically pick... Um, a skill challenge that meets, you know, the meets meets your 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 character's abilities, right? So, for example, if I'm trying to survive in the woods for a week, um, the barbarian might need like I don't know, like a six or a three, even something really low. Where the wizard might need like a twelve or a fifteen. Okay, so it's subjective. Okay, I got you. It's subjective because, well, technically, it's how all checks work, right? So instead yeah. of instead of setting a standard check, like for example, a standard simulation game would do, right? You get your skill plus your attribute. The the GM's going to set a check. Let's say, oh, your survival check to get kill those deer so you can eat is, I don't know, 14, right? And it's a 14 for everybody. And if you happen to have better skills, you have a better chance, a better probability at it. It's the exact same thing, except you just don't have, you don't have the attribute and the skill on your sheet to drive that. Uh, the GM just yeah. knows that the barbarian is better at doing it and, and creates a, a decision. So it's, it's really just all worked in. You still have the same probability. It's just someone made a decision based on something that, that, that everyone knows anyway. Yeah, okay. So, and that means that's really nice because that means that your archetype, right, the character you're playing, covers an infinite number of skills, right, versus having um, a, you know, a disparate set of skills that are supposed to approximate things enough. There's a lot of wiggle room between that. And also, depending on how the, the dice slide in the system, you know, your, your grant, levels of granularity and yada, yada, yada. I mean, yeah. characters may be pretty flat. Like, I mean, when I play D&D, basically all the characters can do all the same stuff, for the most part. Yeah. yeah. So how would this go about some, uh, like a more defined genre? Let's say uh, you're, you're going with D&D as your base stat, your like base concept, because, you know, most, most gamers are D&D players. Um, our group tends to be more of the more on the outre like horror side of things or like the weird abstract stuff like unknown armies so let's say um we're dealing with something like i don't know weird occult terrorism in the yeah. modern day well how so would, that was that? well that was actually what charm was play tested on we ran about 12 12 plus sessions of victorian horror where um it's actually so charm has a standardized uh, rule set that fits any genre Pretty pretty well, and that's about ten thousand words, including examples. Examples take up about half of it. Um, it also has in the book we have seven written scenarios, and of those seven scenarios, one is the game that we actually tested Charm on, called uh, Asylum Reflections. And in that scenario, mirror people are coming out and taking over Victorian London. They're replacing people, and so. That's very much a mystery horror. Um, you don't even know who the good guys or bad guys are because they could be replaced by mirror people. Plus, you know, it's Victorian London, so basically everyone's dying of dysentery anyway. Yeah. Um, so it, in, in fact, charm works really well when um, the system is pretty flat. And when I say flat, I mean that the characters have all about the same level of power in the same ways. So, for example, 
going back to fantasy, a barbarian could hit somebody for four damage, or if if a barbarian can hit somebody for four damage and a wizard can cast a spell for four damage, that's basically pretty flat. You know how they go about it might be a little bit different, but that's a pretty flat system. Those characters are balanced to together. So in mundane, more mundane settings like uh, lower to mid level superheroes or something like um you know you're playing what we call like at the mundane level we actually we actually have um five power levels that we describe in charm mundane is the lowest you're regular people you know mystery solvers kind of call of cthulhu stuff it plays very very well because it provides differentiation within that within that flatness and that kind of overcomes some of the issues i, I kind of just previously talked about with uh, like dnd you know everyone being able to kind of do the same stuff yeah but even then like when when you're dealing with basically three st- three basic concepts or conceptual stats you're you are creating its own own version of flatness because you have these certain little boxes that you have to put into like how do you um how do you differentiate this from like a uh, structural level and i'm not saying that like it's a thing that you have to do it's just uh i'm personally curious about this sort of thing yeah yeah it definitely can be a structural a structural leveler um it just depends on the power level you're playing out and what you guys decide and you know the scenario itself that you're playing within can alter the rules right can alter the base like i said the base ten thousand words um we've done that quite a bit in the seven scenarios each of those scenarios alters the the standard rule set by a little bit to kind of get some top-down design and to make that genre work um so for example um, and i'll get back to your question it's kind of a little bit roundabout here but we have one called pact of the night you play teenage werewolf and vampire it's basically twilight right um, but the deal is is that you only get your power when it's night or technically if you're a vampire you get it when you're in the dark so if you go out during the day you're just a regular person right so you can play a regular person a vampire or a werewolf okay. okay you can choose to take some of your abilities and put them into like night abilities right you in which case, when you use those knight abilities, you're far more powerful than a regular person, but they take up some of your ability slots, and you only get them at night. So you have to choose, you know, you could take all, all three of your, well, uh, and I'll describe how, how, how Charm drives all this through the aspect system. You could take all three of your aspects as knight abilities, or you, or you could take one of them. It just depends on how versatile you want to be and how powerful you want to be. Yeah. And that's just one example of how we employ that top-down design. And those abilities are curated, meaning that they are written in the book and you have to choose from a list. Okay? Normally, charm aspects you can just make up by yourself. So to give you to, to kind of answer your question more directly uh, there, Chris, the, <clears throat> what's, what happens with charm is after you've made your, uh, your character, right? you give it a name, okay? you give it an archetype, and that archetype is what you know it can do, what everyone knows it can okay. do for, them, for the most part. And if they don't know, you have a discussion. You talk about it. Okay. Um, and that goes part of defining the world. And we see this in like PBTA games, right? You're going to sit down and you're going to define the world in, in Apocalypse, right? Apocalypse world. This is not really that, that much of a difference, right? And if everyone's like, hey, let's just play fantasy. Well, you don't even need to have a conversation. Everyone knows what that is, right? Um, now, if you want to play fantasy as a godling, right? Or as a goblin, that might be different. So, um, so you make your archetype and that tells you that, you know, that works with what you know about the character. And then you choose... At first level, you choose three aspects, and you get points in each of those aspects. You get about three points per aspect. It actually goes four, three, two. So your primary, your secondary, your tertiary aspects. And those can be anything. You can basically make up any word to describe your character. So if we go back to Barbarian, I'm making a Barbarian, and what is my first aspect going to be? I could say he is strong, right? It's a little boring, but it kind of works. I'm just really strong, right? And basically, I can get strong four times because I have four points in strong. Right. Um, now that also means that I'm just naturally stronger anyway, because let's say you make a barbarian and I make a barbarian and I put strong on my character sheet and you put agile on your character sheet. 
you're going to be naturally more agile whether you spend those points or not. I'm going to be naturally stronger than you whether I, I spend those points or not. But I'm going to my my level of strength above yours or your level of agility above mine just depends on the power level you're playing at, right? So if you're basically playing mundane, you know, you have the strong kid in, in high school, you have the weak kid in high school, and that just kind of describes the that 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 gap, right? That separation of ability. So going back to barbarian, I might put strong, right? And the next, the next, my next point, right? My secondary one, I have three points in. I might put tough, right? And then I have a third one. I could put aware. I could put steadfast. I could put willful. Whatever you want to describe your character. And this is actually really beautiful because you just choose the things you want the character to have, right? Obviously, but there's no min maxing. You just take the things that you want to have fun playing with. And if you're if you're gonna have fun playing with like a character that's all kind of like physical stats, great. Or if they're more mental, great. Here's how you use those points, those aspect points. Yeah. Um, you can use them to do three things. One is create an ability. Basically, this is like creating a feat or a power or a talent as described by most games. So for example, Whirlwind Attack. Whirlwind Attack goes a bit above what a barbarian could do normally, right? So it's like a stunt from Fate. It's a stunt. Boom, you got it. So you create a stunt. And it could be anything that that aspect um, describes, right? Um, now, your GM may still have you roll. So you have to roll to see if that stunt works. Yep. Um, you can use it to re-roll your dice, as I've described, right? So if you don't like one or both of the die results, you can re-roll them. Or you can use a point, assuming it fits the fictional positioning. You can use a point to spend to say, I'm, I'm going to add my charm dice, that charm die six, into that die 20. So basically we call them, right. it's like create, uh, it's like create, revise, and enhance or something like that in the book. And so as you gain levels, you get more aspects and your existing aspects get more points. Okay. And for every level you gain, you can use two aspect points in the same thing. So for example, you could create a whirlwind attack and you can re-roll it if you miss at level two. Yeah. So what happens is you get into this like push or pull risk reward mechanic along with the benefits that you get. So if you roll your target number, you get your result as you would expect it. If you roll higher, depending on how high you roll, you get more. If you roll lower, well, one level lower, it's actually um, like a mixed success. The level below that, it's a failure. And the level below that is a fumble, where the GM kind of gets to make a move against you. So if you're spending all your points right, to do something, then um, you have to decide, well, do I want to take this mixed success? Do I want to take this, this fumble? Or do I want to like try to rectify it? Knowing that you could just roll it again, right? And you only get so many rerolls. Obviously, as you gain level, you get more rerolls, but then you start burning through points. So it creates just like a fun dynamic. It's just playing a game, you know? It, um, but, but there's stuff going on. The GM can do stuff that you can do to affect the storyline. By using, those, um, by using those, uh, those heightened results, you can start affecting the story. You can say you want to have things happen in it. And kind of like spending bennies and, and uh, you know, uh, different systems and stuff. So it's basically an economy of uh, an economy of points here. Like you can you can double down, but you won't be able to double down in the future if you do so. Yep, yep, yeah. And because of that, you just you can just create yeah, you just create like you said a stunt, whatever you want to do, uh, as long as it fits, it fits fictional positioning. And you know it, the GM will give you once again a check value based on what what you know they think is is the the correct um, check for what you guys are doing, and then you know stuff happens. How did you come up with this game? I I noticed that it's like really designed to be kind of compact. You were talking about the size of the character sheet, and I think the book. I looked. I noticed on the Kickstarter. I think the dimensions you're kind of looking at are like eight by eight. 
Yeah, just a small book. We could do it as, as a smaller book. We can almost do it as like a pamphlet. But um, I wanted to get some big, nice art pieces in there and increase the font size so it'd be easy to read. So we kind of went with an eight by eight format. Plus, I think a square format says, you know, hey, we're we're a little different, right? We're not going to be the same, you know, uh, because I've I've published uh, I've Age Past, which is a four hundred and two page, two hundred seventy thousand word fantasy game. It's amazing. It's it's awesome. But as I was designing that, and as I was designing Super Age, which is my uh, superhero game, and then of course Robotech, you know, I started saying like, well, what What's going on here? Like, like, what what do we need, right? What like use Occam's razor? Let's understand what's going on here. And in H Pass, I incorporated the archetype bonus, meaning that if you're doing something your archetype is familiar with, the GM can lower the check value by two. Which I'm not getting into H Pass rolling system, but the way the rolling system works is, uh, you know, minus two is like a big deal in that in that system. Especially you can keep stacking it from other powers, and you can you can really really chip down the check result, which matters because if you double the check result, you get like a critical success. So there's a lot of like fictional positioning and, and what you're trying to do, you know, um, like you knock someone down, you have a better chance of critically hitting them because they're down. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's very much like a, a realistic, like practical system in that in that sense. But I realized you could just like get rid of a lot of stuff in, in games, you know, and at the same time still have structure, right? And we talk about crunch, which I define crunch is um, tracking uh, a combination of mental load, right, which is tracking, um, remembering, and calculating, along with the number of procedures that you're doing, right. So if you have to if you have to do 15 steps to make something happen, it's, it's going to be considered pretty crunchy. But here's the thing: if I could do 15 times the number of things in that same span of time, then I'm I'm doing the same number of procedures, right? I'm just doing more procedures. That means that I'm actually playing more game and I'm still pretty crunchy because I'm doing a lot of stuff in that time. And so part of part of charm was tried to was trying to like open up role playing, like let people play the things they want without being hindered by unnecessary constraints that actually just make role playing worse. Well, I can't see the argument that certain games are are built on their crunch. They they are meant to be more granular. I, I'm personally a fan of like the store game style of thing. So, like, I, I can see what you're going you're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not you know, it's not going to suit everybody. Yeah. But when I do ask people on my forums and in Discord, like, well, what do you consider crunch? I usually get different answers from different people. Um, I and I think some of it's some of it's definitely preference, right? But I think some of it's some of it's just just habit, right? They're going to read through all these things and look at all these things and put all these things together, and they're going to feel really smart because they did something. And I'm like, but you can be just as smart through creative role-playing, you know? And I, I think it's a bit of a holdover from more like OSR days of, of RPG, which is, you know, I'm 43. I grew up, I and mean, I grew up playing D&D's second edition, really. Um, advanced, well, D&D Advanced, uh, Advanced Dungeons Dragons second edition. And then moved on to things like Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf, all that, all that like first-gen White Wolf stuff and Shadowrun, uh, first-gen, first, well, first edition was a little old for me, but it's like second edition Shadowrun and stuff. So my first, I played first too. But like you're just doing all this stuff, right? And it's one thing if like the procedures or the crunch is helping to create some sort of creative narrative, but if I'm just counting dice results up, like, you know, it it's not really adding anything to the game to like, you know, um to do that. I mean, at that point you must have like a dice game, not like a role-playing game. Similar to how I feel a lot of role-playing games today are combat simulators. They're basically like there's it's basically Gary Gag Gary Gag Gygax's chainmail, right? I mean, that's what as soon as you hit an initiative system, you're playing a simulation war game. Right? You're not really role-playing anymore. At least the role-playing decisions diminish greatly. 
this is this is kind of neither here nor there, but I'm kind of I, I can kind of sympathize with the crunch aspect of stuff. I kind of started I, I started out playing like a couple games of Dungeons and Dragons back when I was in high school in the '90s, and then I didn't touch anything again until like almost before we started doing this podcast. But <laughs> I, as Sorry. I have this past month, I've sat down and played Dungeons and Dragons. I was kind of tradition. Yeah, I, I finally got my. I finally got back into it, and then I just noticed behind the screen that the GM just kept rolling and rolling and rolling, and I'm sitting there like, I haven't really had to deal with that particular level of stuff there. And yeah, especially with Arthur. <laughs> oh yeah. The thing is, he doesn't even have to roll. Um, you know, the the GM can just make stuff up. I mean, what does it matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah true. <laughs> I think you know. I've even had people comment just um, you know coming from games that are like less crunchy and then I jump into like, you know, say Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. Even play those types of games a little bit different. Like I I don't play Dungeons and Dragons like I play like everyone else kind of plays Dungeons and Dragons, if that makes sense. A lot of different groups play in a lot of different ways. I think some of the more popular podcasts out there who 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 they run D and D uh really shell really shell the game. And and that's fine. They're because they're trying to honestly most of the time when I when I listen to people play, if they're telling me how much fun they're having and I start going over certain rules with them. They generally don't play with those rules. They're they're generally modifying the system to to get something a little different out of it. Yeah. Um, and the people well, seem to I'm have always of the opinion that like sorry. Um, That's okay. That's fine. I, I'm always of the opinion that games themselves should be modified by the players. Like it it yeah, should sure. be sort of a democratic thing. Like you you yeah. have these groups of people with you, and we we should all work in a work in a system that we all enjoy. So sometimes let's say uh, you're playing a D and D game where someone wants to track everyone's packet. Right. And everyone's just like, screw that. Okay. <laughs> That's totally fair. Well, I mean, no, it's an, it's almost impossible to do. I mean, everyone does it at first level. They like get all into the granularity of like this weighs this much and that weighs that much. And then as you play, you just realize that the mental load of that is, is impractical to, to continue with. And what does it mean? Your pack weight, your pack weight is what? So what? So what if you go over by a stick? What does that mean? You know, so if I if I am kind of interpreting all this correctly too, so it was you were in the process of working on another project, and then you started stripping things away from it, just getting to the kind of the core essence, and that was charm. Am I summarizing that, or am I? Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's generally. I think what specifically happened was that we were at a break in one of our games. I think I played Curse of Strat or something for like a year. I've been playing Prince of the Apocalypse for like a year or something. So we're in the break of, we're between games. And I'm like, you know what? I want to run like, I want to run something. But when I said I wanted to run something, I wanted to like have everyone make a character in like five minutes or less. Everyone knows how to play as soon as we're done making that character. And then we just play. And that's, so I took those problems, right? As an industrial designer, I took those problems and and drove some top-down design to try to like come up with this. And this is what I came up with. And it just it just works. I mean, it's just you just you can you can sit down, make character in 15 seconds. If if you if you know the system, you can make it in 15 seconds. If you don't know the system, it might take you three to five minutes. Yeah. And then, and then you just play. I mean, I the, the very first charm game I ran, it was to, like Toontown Mysteries. Everyone either played a cartoon or a friend of a cartoon. And that's how we kind of worked out some of the nitty gritty. And it was just it was just a fun game. It just played, you know, it wasn't anything too heavy or light. And then we started putting a little more a little more meat into the game. Like what happens if you roll this or that, or, or if you're over or under, that that kind of stuff and re-rolls and you know, and the game sort of became a game versus just, you know, people making stuff up and rolling some dice. Yeah. Cool. So how do you different 
differentiate from the other like ultra lightweight games that are kind of getting sort of popular right now like i mean we've, we've already talked about powered by the apocalypse we've mentioned fate there there are other things that were it's just like okay you have 30 seconds to create a character now let's play yeah you know it's interesting because when we played apocalypse world it took us like an hour and a half to make characters <laughs> um it so games you know like mouse guard and powered by apocalypse i i don't really consider them really light you know they're kind of i would consider them more like mid lightweight i mean they're not just they're not i wouldn't call ultra light well whatever you know it's a semantics thing but you, know, you need lots of sheets to play right you can't you can't just play it right you got to have sheets upon sheets because you need to know what the moves are and if you have a driver then you know the driver moves and there's these oh check this sheet out for all these optional moves that you may want to use and like and it ends up being like 40 different moves that you kind of like have access to plus the ones you could could potentially get as you level and that's like more mental load like what do i pick um and it you can't you don't know them all right unless you really know the system like it's not in, it's not intuitive play like unless i have that character sheet in front of me you know what i mean not the character sheet the move sheets in front of me okay then what about something more abstract like wild talents where you have very specific dice pools where they can be abstracted more like an aspect sort of thing so i'm not familiar with that system i've played quags which is stands for quick ass game system and um right. i thought quags did a lot of interesting things to to drive to drive gameplay um okay so maybe maybe it'll help if i like kind of give you a concept for it so uh wild talents is um referred to is a part of the one role engine system where the concept is basically you have a specific pool of like stats like say you're this smart so you have five and smart you're the smartest guy in the room and you also have uh two points in being good at remembering so with that you would roll seven seven dice and from there you could like just look at you could abstract the information based on the number of dice you roll like uh if you have three it, it, it's a very interesting that it's about based on matching pairs so like if you have 3d10 that means you really figured something out very fast and since it's the 10 which is the highest number in a d10 you figured it out very well mm-hmm. so it's sort of like kind of like with what you're talking with your aspects with like looking at numbers and things like oh you get over a certain amount that means that you have these extra benefits can you can you re-roll anything or can you yes like certain things yeah yeah because so part of what happens is after you're playing um and it really depends on how fast your points generate and that's really up to the gm so in charm if your points are generate really fast you just spend them it doesn't really matter right you just do what you want but depending on how your your points are replenished or uh, recovered right yeah yeah you you really have to make a decision about every single every single action that you attempt right? Um, do I want to reroll this? Did I, am, do, okay, fine. I passed it, but is my pass good enough? Oh, I took a penalty. Is my, is my penalty, um, um, is it too much for me to handle, right? Do I really want to get this off? Like what, what, what is my fictional positioning at the time that I make the roll to help me decide what I'm doing? Um, so it ends up being, it ends up being, um, allows the players to have some agency over the story. I mean, there's still some random elements in there, but you can decide, you, can, you know, if you really want this to happen, just keep rerolling and burn your points. So a big aspect of uh, charm is the economy of being able to do a new thing. It's the economy of refresh. Right. It's it's sort of the the juxtaposition of of um, agency and agency meeting meeting story. Right. Because if you're for so I think some of the one sheets one sheets I think are basically going to play like standard simulation games. Right. You get these stats. You get to make some decisions. You get your check values. And really a lot of stuff's up to the GM. Um, Basically, like like just stripped down versions of D and D or standard what I call standard simulation games, right? And standard simulation games, 
you're you're basically you know uh, you're just kind of your standard simulation games usually have a very binary uh, pass fail type type system. True. So um, so I think a lot of the smaller lighter games just kind of tend to do that. They just give more leeway with with you know what you write on your sheet, that kind of stuff. Um, I know some other systems are a little more like uh, are more curated. You know, you have candles burning out and yeah. Um, right, and that's and those are curated for a special kind of thing, and I think that's a little different. Where charm is really, you can play as one shot, you can play it as a campaign, um, you know. So it's 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 really meant to sort of take a standard simulation system and replace, you know, eighty percent of it, and then give you a few other things that it doesn't have. But by the way, it's doing it's doing eighty to ninety percent of a standard crunchy game, but your character fits on a business card. So it's it's less a uh, game in and, of, in and of itself. It's an abstraction of a of the more standard system well yeah so the the idea is that i i would i would classify charm as a standard simulation game with with some uh player agency into story i wouldn't say the player agency story pushes over into narrative you can definitely play it more narrative um but and i think with with some revision to the rules it could be more narrative um but as it sits, as the standard rule set is, I would classify it as a, as a standard as a standard simulation game. However, you don't have attributes, you don't have you don't have skills, right? You don't have skill plus attributes. Right. Um, you get concepts, and so you're you're driving play through concepts, which is very not standard simulation because standard simulation is abstracting or trying to replicate something through very terse, you know, through very terse concepts, very narrow concepts. But but yeah, I mean it. The, the concept was is that well, it was like how much can I get rid of to still do this job and do the job better in some ways? I mean, yeah, you don't have a lot of you don't have a lot of procedures, but you have a lot of decisions, right? Your decisions are almost infinite. So when I'm playing like D and D and playing my ranger, I'm like, well, I can move here and shoot, what, or I can shoot the special arrow, or if it doesn't have armor, I can use. So basically, it comes down to like a tree, like a like a what do you call them? Like um, logic, like a flowchart, yes, nos, logic yeah. flowchart, right? Like. I'm in this situation. Is this going on? You know, A, B, C, or D. Oh, it's D. Therefore, I go over here and do this. Oh, what's what's because because I only have so many decisions to make. I can I can basically chart out the perfect solution for every single situation. Whereas charm, you just can do anything as long you know as long as you're it fits yeah. your character. So I was uh, wondering as I was looking through the book here. Well, not the book, but the Kickstarter page and stuff like that. Yeah, of course, you mentioned beforehand that you like it's. Um, uh, without like a particular setting, like I know that you've got like six or seven that look like that will seven scenarios that would come with. Yeah, this. seven scenarios. So, yeah. How was it to write for something that was uh, as versatile as this? It's pretty easy. So actually, most of my scenarios aren't written by me. Um, I went out and got people who are well-known R- R- RG, uh, RPG writers uh, to do some of this writing, and uh, Ryan Schoon was one. And um, and basically, let's see, we took the concept of Pack of the Night, and me and my friend. Uh, Aaron, who is with Table Nights, um, we kind of wrote Pact of the Night together, and we kind of discussed like, well, how would this work? How would that work? What do we want to see in it? Um, the one that I wrote, and I was going to make a whole entire game of it. It's called Dustbound, which is one of the more weird West. It's kind of like Kashern Sins yeah. crosses with Afro Samurai crosses with uh, Deadlands, sort of. Um, that was one that, like I said, I was going to write like a hundred thousand, you know, word full RPG. I'm like, you know what? I got like seven K words in this thing. Why don't I just turn into one of the charm scenarios? And, um, you know, 
by just modifying, they're basically going top down, right? Top down design is like taking concepts and fitting them to the thing you want to work with, right? Versus bottom up, which is taking something you already have and fitting the concept around it. Yeah. Chess is basically bottom up design. So, um, so we basically took some top down elements and it's like, okay, well, we want to use a charm system. We want to have teenage werewolves and vampires. Like, how do we make this work? Right. And so we, we look at it and we go like, what, what, what are the problems we have to solve? And then we start solving the problems. Um, and the system was very easy to modify. I mean, it, you know, it just, it just modified really, really well. So I didn't have any problems going to Dustbound, which you play kind of like you, you know, we talk about these power levels you in Dustbound, you play a demigod in it. You play a demigod gunslinger who can summon a magic gun. You don't even have to hold it. It just summons near you. And the kind of gunslinger you are is a different kind of gun that you get. And so you can do different things and yeah, you have a patron God, right. And, and it's, and you fight demons and vampires and uh, you know, you're, you're trying to either stop this prophecy from happening or you're trying to make it happen. Um, and that's sort of the, the basis of the game is very simple to put, to put that stuff in, into the system okay. uh, or to, to get, to get it to work with charm. Pretty awesome. She got weird West. And then I'm looking, I'm looking here and you got action news team five, which is uh, <laughs> more of a drama. Right. It's anchor. It's basically Anchorman, you know, the movie Anchorman, the role playing yeah. game. So yeah, you have, right. You have weird West, weird, it's, it's really strange. Actually, it's very unique, Weird West. Um, it's just not like and that. Let's actually take a moment to go over the rest of these uh, scenarios, yeah, if you don't mind, too. So yeah. I'm a big fan of time travel in general. It looks like you have one here, Temporal Raiders, which is uh, time travel. Yeah, it's like it's like heists. It's kind of like um, there was a movie with dwarves uh, jumping through time. I'm trying to remember the answers for out of it. <laughs> Time bandits. Yes, time bandits. Thank you, Chris. Yes, so it's kind of like time bandits. Uh, I don't think you have to play dwarves, though. But um, right, so you have you have we have uh, a time travel one. We have the Action Five News, right, which is kind of like Anchorman. Yeah. Uh, and in that, you're you're playing basically. So your physical stats, right? You're like your your body. You know, you're not going to get hit. You're not going to get shot by guns, right? But you might lose ratings, and so you have your social hit points. Your social hit points can take a hit, right? So the whole point is like trying to get the best ratings. So it's it's a different take on like what what a hit point is, right? In this case, losing ratings means like you're losing hit points. Okay, I can uh, definitely so, see that. Yeah, I'm not looking at the list here. What else do we have? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, the mystery, the mystery solvers incorporated, which jeepers, guys. Well, I, I kind of think I see where you're coming from on this. <laughs> yeah, it's Scooby Doo, basically. Uh, yeah, mystery. You play kids, and you're. Uh, you have to solve some mysteries and that one's written more that scenario in there is written more as a uh as like a mini adventure right it's like a little one-shot adventure it's, it's not really written as a scenario so much where dustbound is more of a scenario you kind of get the world and then you know someone's got to make up a story for it. yeah uh, another one of my own creation actually i ran this in charm too was uh oni tech so oni tech okay. is you play as a some sort of cyber you're, you're trapped in a walled city run by demons sometime in the far future you don't know there's certain like history is illegal so no one really knows what date it is or whatever and so um and basically it's sort of like Shadowrun meets uh Shadowrun meets like, like cyber demon action and demons have total control of the city but you know they're not like whipping and chaining people and burning in the streets they they care about self-gain so it has a weird uh flip of morality where yeah. civility replaces morality so as long as you're not causing chaos in the streets, the demons kind of let commerce happen and go about your business. But um, slavery exists, and and you know other really things that we would consider very shameful are are, uh, are perfectly legal in that because it's a just a completely different uh, take on morality. Uh, the people who worship the demons will just sacrifice themselves to them because that's yeah. how salvation will, will happen. So as you were as 
putting uh, these collection of scenarios together was just pretty much just like was there a general theme that you all were working with? It was just with the the you contacted the kind of write this just like just let her go or like how did you go oh. about this particular aspect? Yeah, so the Time Bandits one was completely chosen by the writer. Uh, he was actually charged with doing deep sea salvage team, sort of like Alien but underwater. Mm-hmm. And he was having trouble with it, so he decided to switch it to this. I'm like, cool, man, I don't care. Um, but we had a few others, like Toontown Mysteries. I think that one got axed. Um, we just didn't. We did something else instead because the writer. I gave the writers a list of like three or four of them. They chose the ones they wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I did that got axed was a uh, Super Baby Daycare. It was one I, I thought was really cool. Where basically you play as daycare. You, you're you're taking care of super babies, right? But you're you're the daycare like caretakers. Okay. Um, yeah, just an interesting kind of take on like trying to just manage yeah. day like super. I just thought it was kind of quirky. Uh, another one I had in there was uh, like Demon Slayers, where you play as like punk rockers by night, and later and later at night you you play as demon hunters. So you kind of have a band, and your band weapons are like the, your you know your instruments are like your weapons when you uh, go fight the demons. Uh, another one I had that we got axed was a sushi showdown where you play as sushi chefs trying to become the ultimate sushi chef maker, right? Trying yeah. to become sushi chef. It's really hard to say sushi chef. <laughs> That's a, it's a skill. It really is. Um, you kind of get, get into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just want to tell you right now that your discussion of a, a band that hunts demons. Now I've got, I don't know if it was for the Kiss cartoon or it was Scooby-Doo and Kiss or some stuff like that, but just some variation of that is just kind of going through my head right now where, you know, Gene Simmons is out actually fighting a demon. But I think I'm just, what I'm trying to say is you're probably giving me nightmares right now. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. I'm pretty sure we've brought up at least once or twice, Adam, starting a game where we're all a punk band and then we do stupid shit like this, so... (laughs) Well, they, one of the interesting things is because I spend so much time writing RPGs, I don't always get to play a lot of them. It, it takes a lot because you know, I have kids and stuff too. So, not failure. You. you know, I, I get you know. Um, so some things like I duplicate, I don't even know it. Some things I've made years ago that then seem to get duplicated uh, that I've done, and you know, it just it just happens in, in the industry. But um, yeah, the Robotech game is very much it's a different mecha game. It's a different it's a different take on like how to do role playing and uh, yeah. It, it really hugs the line between simulation and narration and uh, it's getting some good feedback from some people. Um, awesome. So, yeah, so we're pretty excited and pretty excited for, for that system. Um, now, now I'm really one of the individu- individuals who puts the uh, cart before the horse. So I probably should have really uh, verified this in the very beginning of the interview and stuff, I guess, but this isn't like a freshman effort by you. You've been in the role playing industry for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent, <laughs> I cut my teeth on Age Bass, which, like I said, is a 400-page, 270,000-word book with like $20,000 of art in it. In fact, the guy who did the artwork, Alexander Nanishkov, he's basically working for Piazzo now. So all the Starfinder characters, they're probably done by Alex. And so that's my whole entire book. It's 400 pages. Actually, if you tile the art, 72 pages is all done by him. It's beautiful. It's probably one of the most beautiful and possibly one of the most um, ambitious indie games ever made. You know, no one knows about it, right? So, yeah. but the whole, everything from formatting the book to getting it printed, um, to writing it, to understanding how to do game design. And every time I do a game, it becomes easier and easier. So now I have these three systems. I have uh, the Elegant 10 system, which is what HPASS is run on. Uh, and we're trying to get Warframe. So if we get Warframe, I'll put it on the Elegant 10 system. Uh, if we, um, um, I also have the Charm system. And so Charm is super simple. I'm going to try to 
make a bunch of games for Charm. Um, and, you know, we're talking about like $25 books, right? They're small, they're simple, quick to play. Yeah. And then we have this other other system called called uh, Advantage 6, which is what um, Super Age and um, Robotech are on. So I'm looking at getting picking up the Mekton license to do a, um, a Mekton game based on the uh, the Advantage 6 system. So... And also, I'd really like to get Battletech because I have this Australian guy who just wrote some freaking amazing uh, Battletech rules um, as a, uh, a hack for uh, Robotech. Really good stuff. And so, I'd love to be able to do like Rob. I'd love to be able to do Battletech. Apparently, they got their own thing coming out, but it's it's probably gonna be whatever. It's gonna be. I mean, hopefully, it'll be more playable than the last MechWarrior game. So yeah, we're we're trying to to get some good stuff. Uh, we're looking at a lot of different licenses. We're looking at you know just making our own stuff. And I'm um, really right now because Robotech's done. I'm writing the next Robotech book, but the system's already done. So it's just really filling out stats for for characters and getting art for it. Yeah. So um, I got a good year to write and work on something else. So I'm really kind of looking for my next prestige uh, prestige game to to get to get my teeth into. Cool. Cool. So let's let's kind of jump over here real quick to the uh, Kickstarter campaign to get a PDF of this. Looks like a ten dollar pledge. Yep. And hardbacks are at forty. Yeah, I looked at. I think they're about eight fifty to print. So forty sounds good. And uh, yep, then just kind of variations where you get multiple copies, and you ha- you have pledges at a uh, well. We have uh, one option, a uh, pledge $650 level. You get uh, your hardback copy, your PDF carp- copy, and uh, create your own 5,000-word uh, scenario for Charm. You can create a scenario for Charm, and you know Brian Young will write it. Brian does a lot of um, fantasy and uh, sci- well, mainly sci-fi writing. He, he writes for uh, Sci-Fi Wire. He does work for Star Wars. He's a Star Wars guy. Like Disney Disney pays him like to do Star Wars, so he's... He's up there, you know, when it comes to Star Wars stuff. And he yeah. actually writes Battletech. He's writing like two Battletech books right now. Nice. Um, yeah. And in fact, he likes Charm. He has like a pre-made world. I think he's got like 60,000 words written for it. We're just going to port it over to Charm. So that's something we'll be looking to do too in the uh, near future. Pretty cool. It's a simple campaign. It's just basically fulfilled through Drive RPG. I guess we got enough for it. We could go to Offset Print, uh, you know, but it's just uh, Offset Printing a, a thousand books is like 550 a book. So 5,500 just to print it and so you know, yeah. POD seems to be the way to go for it. It seems like a lot. A lot of people are going that route nowadays. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to update. I mean, if you make a mistake, you can just update the PDF. Um, that's nice. So it's not as much yeah. stress is uh, you know in it, um, and people can just be, well. <laughs> the big thing is fulfillment, right? So for example, if I we were having this problem with Robotech, if I sell an offset print Robotech book to Europe, uh, shipping. Including VAT, we'll cover the VAT, but shipping to like Sweden is like, I don't know, let's just say is like 50 bucks, 55 bucks. So, but Lighting Source, or technically Ingram Spark, has printing houses in the UK and Australia and the United States. It's actually, it's actually more expensive to send to Canada because, you know, you have to pay the the taxes to get up into Canada. But if you ship to the EU, they don't print it in the United States. They print it in, they print it in um, the UK and ship it from there. And that's why shipping through DriveThruRPG is so cheap. Um, the downside is you get a crappier book. I mean, you get a basically an inkjet printed book. Yeah. You know, versus a nice high quality offset book. But you don't have to wait for it to go into distribution. Like for most of our European people, we have a pre-sale in Robotech. They either have to buy it now, right, and have, pay fifty bucks for shipping, or they have to wait half a year for for someone for a distributor to pick it up have it shipped from here to to you know somewhere over in Europe, and then get into the stores, and the person go in the store and buy it. Mm-hmm. 
So when we do get stock, we are going to do an Amazon page for it, which will help because Amazon does cheaper shipping, but uh, we can't pre-sell on Amazon. So yeah. So PewDie, PewDie is super simple for because DriveThruRPG wants the business, right? So they just make it easy with the vouchers. The person basically just says, hey, I get a copy of this. I'm going to pay for shipping. Boom. And then they get it. Hmm. Okay. So for those that are interested, I noticed that on the uh, Kickstarter page, you can also check out uh, the beta, beta rule book. And there's, you also have available a uh, beta character sheet that we were discussing, the real small format here. Yeah, I mean the, the the game's done. It just needs to be edited and formatted. So whatever they're whatever they have there, they're getting the full game with all the seven scenarios in it. So um, anybody has any questions, definitely want to recommend them to you know check the link in the description here. Uh, follow over to the uh, Charm Kickstarter and it does some stuff that's different. Yeah, you know, if you want to see something different, check it out. Yeah, definitely. Well, we definitely appreciate you uh, dropping by to discuss this with us, Jeff. Where can uh, our listeners find you on the internet here or some of the work that you're producing? Yeah, sure. So we have a website, strangemachinegames.com. Um, we have, we're very excited. We have new new board games coming out. We have new uh, role-playing games coming out. So we always have something going on. Uh, even though we're a small press company, we're actually, we're actually one of the few small press companies that's doing both board games and role-playing games. Uh, most just kind of pick one or the other. And uh, we also have more games coming out. We don't just do one big game every two years. You know, we're trying to come out with uh, games, you know, several games a year. Uh, so strangemachinegames.com. We also have Facebook, facebook.com forward slash strangemachinegames. We have a Twitter, which is at SMG underscore play. And we have Instagram at strangemachinegames and a Discord, which is like, I don't know, dot Y-F-Q-R-Z something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we have a Strange Machine Games Party House on Discord, but you can find that on our website. Our website has all our social media links right on there. Awesome. Well, Jeff, once again, thanks for stopping by and uh, best of luck on the uh, Charm Kickstarter. Well, I really appreciate it. Like, appreciate being here. Yeah, of course, man. It, it's always interesting hearing about new uh, new games and seeing, listening to uh, new voices. For those listeners out there, I'd like to go ahead and thank you for tuning in to Real Point Exchange once again. You can uh, find us at www.realpointexchange.com. We're facebook.com slash exchange and uh, if you would like to back our patreon that would be mighty swell of you you can find us at patreon.com slash the exchange and uh we also have a twitter which i always tell everybody all the time that chris used to run but i also had control of his email password so i hijacked that thank you chris yeah <laughs> sorry about that i just <laughs> forgot my password it's okay uh, it's it's admin powers. It just it went to my head. But anyway, you, How dare. You, all, you can catch us on Twitter at uh, R-P-E-X-G-H-A-N-G-E. And uh, yeah, so Jeff, thanks once again. And uh, talk to you guys next time.